I'm Alicia Michalisic Kurtz, and welcome to Real Talk, a place where healthcare professionals share stories about their more human experiences working in medicine. Today's story comes from Layla, the final student in our series looking back at the experiences of four first year medical students who are now solidly into the first few months of their second year of med school here in California. Like probably many of you, 2020 has been marked by all kinds of memorable moments for me, which, if I'm being completely honest, absolutely includes watching multiple shows on Netflix all the way through to completion. And since I've given so much of my attention to some of these shows, I can't help but find myself more reflective about how some of these shows even came to be. The idea phase, the initial plot brainstorming, the script writing, the rewriting, the way the characters are cast, and then the actors come in and add their own flair, which leads to even more edits, ultimately taking shape into what is either a very successful or unsuccessful show. I sometimes wonder, when the original scriptwriter sees that final episode edit, does it match what they were going for when they wrote it? Or is it something entirely different by then? And while healthcare and show business are basically completely unrelated, and goodness knows, in fact, that when Hollywood attempts to do anything medical, they have a track record of just abysmally failing to be accurate in so many ways that I can't even begin to count them. But there's still something to be said about this analogy of scripting these shows. There is a lot that's wrong with the healthcare system in the U.S., and much of it was decided on or was scripted by people ages ago, many years before most practicing doctors today were even born. And those of us who are suffering from this most complicated and convoluted version of what was originally a pretty straightforward job feel bound by this script that we were handed to work with. We try to edit it here and there to find ways to make something flow more readily or feel more real, be more accurate or relatable, re-grab the attention of the viewer. But when we're working within this rigid framework we've been handed, it's tough to feel like you can really make any big or sweeping changes. How do you push for a rewrite when a ton of the other actors have already memorized the lines that are written? How do you propose a plot twist or a scene change when everyone around you is used to it the way that it is? This is Layla's story. So before starting medical school, I talked to a lot of people. And the thing that I kept hearing over and over and over again was that it's going to be like drinking water from a water hose. That doesn't mean much to most people. And it didn't really mean much to me until the second week of med school when I was like, oh, this actually is like drinking water from a water hose. Okay. But I think the thing that was noticeably absent from these conversations was the ideas of grief and loss. No one really tells you about the grief and loss that you go through once you start medical school. Now, I was an MS1, now an MS2. And this might seem like kind of an odd thing for me to say, grief and loss after getting your dream career, after getting the chance to do something that you've wanted to do for so long and to make a difference in areas where the healthcare system has historically failed people that look like you, look like your Black roommate, your Native American co-intern, you're actually doing what you've wanted to do. And now I'm over here talking about grief and loss. 
I think once you start med school, so much of the support system that's gotten you there, that's defined your identity, like your family and your friends, they suddenly seem secondary to the house of medicine. I think medical school changes our relationships, our time and our priorities. (laughs) I mean, in some circles, people would even argue that you shouldn't be allowed to wear swim attire for fear of being unprofessional once you start medical school. But these unrealistic expectations aside, there's real grief that comes with this loss. And coupled with the academic rigor of medical school, it makes the whole experience more emotionally intense. And this takes some getting used to. And I think it's even harder for our families. I know for mine, I come from a family of immigrants who don't really have any familiarity with the medical training process in the U.S., So on days when I'm absent or studying or missing important family events, it may come across as me just not caring. But in reality, I absolutely do. That's why I work so hard and that's why I'm here. But sometimes you just feel like you don't have a choice. In medicine, people like to throw around words like burnout and compassion fatigue. And honestly, if COVID-19 has shown us anything, it's that the healthcare system is broken Doctors and other health professionals are being pushed to their breaking points. And we have these unrealistic expectations of being more than human placed on them. A lot of times you hear the word hero thrown around. I don't think they, or us, signed up to be martyrs. And this mantra of self-sacrifice over self-care can really wear on people in healthcare. The first year of medical school has shown me that this clearly starts in medical school. The separation from your normal support system and the loss of missing out on so many important life events isn't really talked about. But I do think it makes it more important to be really intentional with the things that you do have control over, like how you allow this experience to shape you and how you care for your patients and how you express your humanness over your doctorness. So a few months after starting medical school, we started seeing patients at student-run clinics. And I began to realize that a lot of times practicing medicine can leave you feeling the same way. Like sometimes you don't really have a choice and you have this predetermined script that you have to follow. I remember clearly I was seeing an undocumented immigrant in clinic one day and he had been to our clinic multiple times to get his seizure medications refilled. He had had one breakthrough seizure months ago because we were tapering him off his old medication and starting him on his new one. But otherwise, his seizures were well controlled. He had had no seizures since the medicine changed and he was doing well. But for some reason that day, the attending refused to give him a seizure medication. She wanted to report him to the DMV. Now, mind you, this patient didn't have a license. He was undocumented and reporting him would probably just increase his risk of deportation. Now, for me, medicine is not a place to be political. Instead, it's a place to advocate and care for the patient in front of us. And it was so tough to watch her not take the time to understand or to think about how her decision to not give him medication and call the DMV might lead to a much worse outcome in this man's life. Now, I'm not blaming her. I don't know why she felt that way, and I didn't actually get a chance to talk to her afterwards. Maybe it was because she wasn't comfortable prescribing seizure medications, or 
Maybe she'd been burned by a situation like this in the past. But for me, for my naive first-year medical student eyes, the situation just seemed so black and white. Like we were following a predetermined script when the script in the situation clearly made no sense. So bringing this back to the idea of a first-year medical student, I'm learning we have to be mindful of the sacrifices that we make for medicine. In this case, it was physician autonomy. And those decisions can't come from the system or some unrealistic expectations that are put on you. Sometimes they have to come from you. And there's so many good examples of that. I remember one time I had this man walk into our clinic, a different patient, a different attending, And he had dermatitis and excoriations all over both of his upper arms. And he thought that something that he had done had caused this. So for the past three weeks, this man had been pouring hydrogen peroxide over his wounds. Now, if you've ever had a paper cut, think about how much that stings. And then imagine having paper cuts from your shoulders to your wrists and pouring hydrogen peroxide over that. That thought itself is just unbearable. And this man had been too ashamed to seek medical care. So I sat there with him, and for some reason that day, he decided to open up to me. And he started to tell me his life story. And he started to cry. And there was no script. There was no doctor script telling me what to do. And so I did the only thing that I knew how to. I knelt down in front of him, I held his hand, and I listened. And I think I was in there for 30 or so minutes at that point. And then I hear this knock and I know it's the attending. And I know in the back of my head, he's probably going to be like, okay, you know, move things along. We're in a clinic. But he didn't do that. I was surprised he didn't. He walked in. He kind of assessed the situation. And then he did exactly what I had been doing. He knelt down in front of the patient, held his hand, and proceeded to comfort him. And I think we were in there for a good 30 minutes. Now, if you know anything about clinics and attendings, you know that when the attending is gone, clinic effectively stops. And when it's 5 p.m. on a Saturday, everyone else's appointments are running late. And there really isn't time scheduled in healthcare for long moments like this. In medical school, you learn all these tips about moving the conversation along to fit the confines of a 15-minute patient appointment. So you can go back and furiously type a note into your EMR outside. But this attending, he broke that script. And we were in there for 30 minutes. And honestly, at the end of the day, the most therapeutic thing that we did for this patient was to listen to his story. Because this mountain of a man who had broken down sobbing in front of me walked out of our clinic that day, smiling and whistling. And I can tell you, it wasn't the medication that we prescribed for him that did that. So I think that when we think about burnout and wellness and medicine and what we want to make of this experience, I absolutely believe that these issues have to be addressed at a systemic level. And it's not on the individual to just magically be well. At the same time, even after only a year of medical school, I can clearly see that there's an onus on the provider to think about these issues from day one. We all experience these challenges. We make sacrifices for our training and career. 
and we find ourselves feeling like we don't have a choice along the way. So we can either work through it and explore it, or we can learn and grow from this experience and develop intentional coping mechanisms. Or you can let it harden you and let it lead you to following this default script that sometimes doesn't really make sense. I think that's the difference between a healer and somebody who pushes through and just lets it happen to them. I think this year has taught me that it's normal to feel a whole range of emotions related to the grief associated with starting medical school, especially as each of us develops our brand new identities. So for now, away from our support systems, our family, our friends, our communities, we don't really have a choice, but we can work on becoming the doctor and the person you want to be at the other end. So I know at least for me, I'm going to take it one day at a time, one month at a time, one year at a time, and hopefully come out the other side as a physician who breaks the script for her patients instead of conforming to the institution. One of the main focuses of Real Talk is to have the conversations that we're not really having in healthcare, but we absolutely should be. To intentionally stop and acknowledge the things accepted as normal for generations, but that may not actually be the best way. Layla's description of her attending rejecting the existing script of basically throwing the rules out the window to redefine how he would use that time in clinic to determine his own scene with that patient, that's truly not the norm that you see in healthcare. Instead, you see many of us struggling to make these small adjustments to work within that system already defined for us instead of fighting back or advocating more forcefully for a rewrite. And heck, forget the rewrite. It may be time to just throw the whole thing out and start over again. And isn't that kind of how 2020 feels in general? Whether it's politics or natural disasters or our world's response to COVID-19, it's like we just keep trying to edit the edges of existing systems that are just garbage. Why do we as a people feel so bound by these dysfunctional frameworks? In healthcare, for sure we feel limited by them. And in fact, we spend all kinds of time and money trying to work within these confines instead of just binding together and openly rejecting them. The way insurance companies operate, just in general, for example, the very high costs of care, uh, surprise coverage issues, high deductible plans, the refusal to pay for emergency care if it turns out it wasn't an emergency later, the rules that we're forced to follow as doctors, whether it's outdated, not evidence-based sepsis measures, or the insane focus on documentation, which isn't even the original intention of our charts at all. And instead, now it's become this billing and risk-driven, burnout-inducing burden on all of us. The system is broken. And while, yes, we have a small percentage of healthcare workers that are truly doing their best to improve it, the vast majority are not. In healthcare, we do not have a habit of saying yes to change or being willing to try something out of the box, at least not if it's gonna cost anything. We are largely not a community that rejects bad scripts or has the guts to throw them out and try something unconventional instead. But it doesn't have to be that way. 
all four of our medical student stories shared this sense of purpose, of seeing the beauty in what it means to truly be a caregiver, this deep desire to serve others that brought them to medical school in the first place. So what can we do? As attendings, as leaders, as program directors, as hospital administrators, what can we do to foster that sense of purpose? To support this new generation, throwing out this old script that we normally teach and help us find ways to bring that humanity back to the bedside. To demand better from our insurers, to not succumb to the senseless rules that are written for us by people that don't even do our job. To not tolerate the status quo when it's literally the worst. And instead, to empower them with yeses. To take chances on their ideas, to support their dreams to make healthcare better. How can we help them and ourselves to succeed instead of just being another source of no that perpetuates the same old nonsense for more years to come? Thank you to Layla for sharing her story with us and to medical students everywhere for continuing to seek out a career in medicine for the right reasons and for helping us get back to that why that brought us here in the first place, even if it was years ago. Thank you also to Marco Gonzalez, our sound engineer, and to all of you for listening. I'm Alicia, and this is Real Talk. Want to connect with the Real Talk podcast or record your story with us? Start at realtalk.transistor.fm, or you can follow the link in the show notes for this episode.